Welcome to the war from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, we took a look in the last couple of episodes at how the war impacted the story of uh, ongoing radio uh, comedies that were full length at half an hour. Today, we're going to take a look at some shorter shows, three separate shorter shows, and uh, how the war uh, impacted their storylines. Uh, first up, we'll take a look at Baby Snooks. At this point in Snooks' uh, career over radio, uh, the character didn't have her own show. Uh, it was a sketch in Maxwell House Coffee Time, which starred Frank Morgan, who uh, is perhaps most famous for playing the role of the wizard in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, this sketch comes from December the 18th of 1941, so let's go ahead and take a listen to Baby Snooks. Oh, excuse me. Hello? Hello, John. Hello, Daddy. Say, come on down and bring the diary with you. Can't come now, old boy. I'll bring it when I go off duty. But off duty? Yes. I've been appointed air raid warden for my block. I'm sitting on my roof right now. <laughs> I got a telescope, too. Well, if you're on the roof, how are you calling? Had a long cord put on my telephone, so I can report to headquarters. Oh. The telescope's my own idea. I see. Uh, Daddy... How is Snooks taking all this? Snooks? Yeah. She doesn't know anything that's going on. <laughs> no sense telling her. She wouldn't understand. Oh, I guess not. Well, come down as soon as you're through. You bet. Goodbye, Joe. So long. Well, at least Daddy's found a way to be alone. Oh, what a beautiful night. Full moon, brilliant stars. Oh, maybe it isn't so beautiful. Good thing I've got this telescope. Oh, Daddy. Snooks, how did you know I was up here? Come tell Mommy, Daddy. Tell Mommy what? Where you're hiding. I'm not hiding from Mommy. Why? Just because I'm sitting on the roof doesn't mean that I'm hiding from Mommy, does it? Does it? Uh-huh. <laughs> now, why do you say that? Because this is where you always hide. Maybe it is. But she's not after me tonight. Well, why have you got that basin on your head? It's not a basin. This is a helmet. What's it for, Daddy? Why, it's it's just to keep my head warm. Snooks, I want you to go downstairs and get into bed. Why? Because I tell you to. And I know what's best for you. I don't think so, Daddy. Oh, you don't? <laughs> no. You always make me go to bed when I ain't sleepy. And you make me get up when I am. If you went to bed when you're supposed to, you wouldn't be tired in the morning. I'm tired now. Well, why don't you go to bed? What for? Because you're tired. No, I ain't. Well, what did you just say? I don't know. You're so exhausted, you're silly. Now, run along and get a good night's sleep so you can grow up to be a healthy, beautiful woman. Like Mommy? Well, Mommy's had insomnia since she was five. Huh? Nothing. Good night. Good night, Daddy. Daddy! What is it? What are you looking through that thing for? This is a telescope. I'm looking at the sky. Why? Oh, I... I'm just looking at the stars. Yes, that's why I'm sitting on the roof of this telescope. I'm an astronomer. Are you? Yes. 
That sounds like a satisfactory explanation, doesn't it? Does it? I think so. <laughs> What's the telephone up here for? Oh, uh, well, when I see a new star or something, I report it to the astronomical headquarters. And then will the sirens blow? <laughs> what sirens? Snooks, do you know why I'm up here? Yeah. Why? You're hiding from Mummy. I'm not hiding from Mummy. I told you I'm studying astronomy. What's that? It's the science of the astral bodies and their positions in the firmament. Where is it? Right above you. The region of the heavens. See the millions of stars? I want a star. Snow. No, I want a star. <laughs> They're a fixed part of the firmament and they can't be moved. How do they stay up there? Gravity holds them there. Who's he? Who's he? How can you be so ignorant? I don't know. <laughs> Gravity is the law that was discovered by... Uh, by... Uh, it's something with apples. Oh, yes. Newton discovered it. Apples? No. Gravity. Look through this telescope. See that group of seven bright stars in the shape of a dipper? No. Well, what do you see? A bunch of aeroplanes. Well, look on the other... Aeroplanes? <laughs> Let me see that telescope. What's the matter, Daddy? Huh. I don't see any planes. Oh, those twinkling things are stars. Are they? Yes. You were looking at the constellation of Taurus. That's the bull. I think so, too. <laughs> That's the name of that constellation, the bull. Right in the middle of the Milky Way. Where's the cow, Daddy? There isn't any cow. On one side, you can see the Big Dipper, can't you? Uh-huh. Now, over to the left there, you can see three stars in a line. Those stars are called the Belt of Orion. Is that his belt? Yes, they're all fixed. Hmm. So don't you see how impossible it would be to move one of those stars? Yes, Daddy. And why? Because his pants would fall down. <laughs> you go right to bed. Now, tell me some more about pastrami. Astronomy, not pastrami. It's a very fascinating science. And astronomers have proved that the sun is 93 million miles away from the Earth. And if light travels at 186,000 miles a second, which it does, it takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to reach the Earth. That means that when you look at the sun, you're not looking at the sun at all. But you're looking at the place the sun was eight minutes ago. What'd you say, Daddy? Well, it's very simple. Look, when a chicken cackles at sunrise, what is she doing? Laying an egg. I mean, is she really laying the egg at sunrise? No. Well, what is she doing? She's working eight minutes overtime. Exactly. And that's where the brilliant astronomers have it all over the poor chicken. Mm -hmm. The astronomer knows that light travels that fast. Well, how fast can he lay an egg? He can't <laughs> lay eggs. Why? What have eggs got to do with astronomy? You started it. <laughs> I was just trying to make it simple for you. I don't suppose you know that the Earth has an axis, do you? Axis? Yes. And you wouldn't understand it if I told you that the entire world we live in is revolving on that axis at the crushing speed of a thousand miles an hour, would you? Uh-huh. What does it mean? Hitler laid an egg. <laughs> how right you are. But this is a different axis. And how do you know about these things? What things? 
Oh, don't give me that innocent look. <laughs> what's the use of me trying to spare you from all this strife if you know what's going on? What's going on, Daddy? Do you know why I'm on the roof tonight? Uh-huh. Why? Because you're hiding from Bobby. <laughs> I am not, and you don't know anything. Now go downstairs and go to sleep. Well, why are you staying up here? Because I'm studying astronomy. What's that? What have I been telling you for the last five minutes? I don't know. It's the study of the stars. What is? Astronomy! <laughs> astronomy is the study of the stars in the firmament. Who put them up there? Who? Yeah. Who put the planets in the solar system? Who studied the sky with the celestial bodies? Who made the sun and moon and caused them to spin in their orbits? I ask you, who did it? <laughs> uh, I didn't do it. I know you didn't. The whole thing is a mystery, and that's why I'm on the roof tonight. And why I'll be on the roof with my telescope for many nights to come. Now, does that answer your question? I didn't ask you that. <laughs> well, don't. Just go to bed and leave me alone. All right, Daddy. Good night. Good night, Daddy. Well, anyway, I'm glad she doesn't know. Daddy! What is it? Who turns off the moon when there's a blackout? <laughs> what? Snow. Good night, Warden. <laughs> Welcome back. Well, I've heard quite a few of these sketches on the Good News program, and it seems both this and the um, uh, previous one for defense bonds seemed a little bit more gentle and subdued, um, uh, particularly on the part of uh, Daddy. Uh, but still, pretty funny, and I love some of the puns in this. Well, uh, it was not quite as easy to get into the war for many programs that had ongoing plot lines, um, where you had scripts in advance, you had storylines working all around, uh, and such was the case for the program Vic and Sade. Uh, Vic and Sade, uh, is a beloved uh, radio uh, soap opera with a comedy element that aired from 1932 to 1944. And unlike um, many of these series, was actually recorded in Chicago. After it was canceled, would have uh, several comeback attempts, including three and a half months as a 15-minute serial again in 1945, and a three-month, uh, 30-minute uh, run in 1946, as well as a few attempts at uh, making it on television. I'm not an expert on the show, but uh, Jim uh, Mason, who is, says on his uh, uh, blog that it was very rare for them to address uh, World War II. That said, from April 6th of 1942, here's Scrap Drive. Well, sir, it's early evening as our scene opens now. And here on the front porch of the small house halfway up in the next block, we find Mr. Victor Gook all by himself. And at this moment, Sade appears around the corner of the house. Hey, Mr. Grassy, just taking a cold in some place. Oh, there, Sadie. Disturbed not my dream. Hi. Why are you wandering around the yard in that vagabond fashion? Oh, just me and I'll stop it growing. Come up and sit down by my side. I thought Russ was here with you. Rush come out the door like a tornado and beat it up the street. No, he must have forgot to visit Jim's house. 
Nash is caught and Vernon Peckles are both there. Never stop to tell you about the big excitement, huh? Yeah, he would. He will when he gets back. What's the big excitement? The boys are going to accumulate scrap. Scrap? Old iron, tin, brass, lead, steel, and like that. Paper, rag, rubber, wire, and so forth. Oh, for the war? Yes, and it's a real good thing. Everybody's got trash cluttering up their house. The government can use, and Rush and the boys plan on... Excuse me, I believe I discerned Rush approaching. Yeah. Jeff is elastic. No, he's excited about this. He's the chairman of the board. Him and Nicer and Bluetooth and Vernon have organized a big elaborate organization with a fancy highfalutin name. What is it? The Virginia Avenue area, Sons of Patriotism, Salvage, Indemnity. <laughs> it is a real good thing. Rush was telling hey, me. Hey, Rooster Davis, there's Nellie Clark, Erlina Richard, your Milton Watcher, Willis Roybay, telephone line. Nobody telephoned. Good. See? Yeah. Did either Y.Y. Y. Flirch, or former Hugh McGenty, or Steve Chestbudget, or Charlie Razorscum, or Harry Pap, or Gus Clark, or Fred Timbottom, or Richard Fishigan, or Al Pushigan, or Y.I.I.Y. Steeber, or H.K. Steeber? Make in front of me, I'll go. Yeah. Can I tell you about the new project? Sorry? He and Bluetooth and Vernon and Nicer are going to get into it up to our ears. How's it happen you're trafficking with Nicer? I was under the impression you and Nicer were sworn enemies. We are. But we've called a truce for the duration. See, this scrap salvage business is maybe... 14 or 15 percent his idea. Out of fairness, we had to include him in the organization. However, I am keeping a little black book. How do you mean, Willie? Nicer and myself have declared a truce for the duration, but people's natures don't change, and Nicer Scott is just as miserable a scoundrel as he ever was. I'm keeping a little black book where I make a mark every time he requires a face upside the snoop. Why, doggone it, I just got through spending 20 minutes with Nicer. And you know how many marks I was forced to put down my little black book? How many? Nine. He's got nine paced up by the newcomer. Yes, the minute the war's over. Oh, my God. Uh, tell Gav about the Virginia Avenue area. What's you call it? The Virginia Avenue area sends the patriotism, salvage, and dentist. Uh-huh. I don't think the term is used in that sense. So does, guys. It's got kind of a fancy swing to it. The Virginia Avenue area sends the patriotism, salvage, and dentist. You collect old metal, huh, for national defense? Yeah. And you'd be astonished at what the government is anxious to get a hold of. Doorknobs, hinges, keys, locks, knives, scissors, ashtrays, roller skates, soap pokers, screwdrivers, faucets, sinks, pliers, poles, pickaxes. I could run along half an hour. You collect all that from the people in the neighborhood here and send it to the government? No, you don't send it to the government. The government's got no way to handle it. We collect the scrap and sell it to the junk man. Well, what's he doing? Sells it to the manufacturer. Oh. You can either dispose of your scrap through a junk man, or you can donate it to a collection bureau downtown. Us guys prefer to deal with the junk man. That kind of mixing up financial gain with your patriotism? Well, I don't know what it is, God. Realizing a profit is something of an incentive. Of course, patriotism is a great big incentive in itself, but making some money on top of that just adds to the incentive. Yes, that's true. I'm greatly pleased with the setup. Uh-huh. Seems to me, Annabelle, that people would prefer to sell their own scrap if there's a property in it. Well, yes, lots of people will. Those that have a lot of stuff laying around. But the government advises you not to call your junk dealer till you got a hundred pounds accumulated. I doubt if very many ladies in this neighborhood got that much. No, probably not. Most everybody's got some little knick-knack cluttering up their attic or cellar. Trash they hesitate to throw away. And yet trash they wish they didn't have to give house room to. 
that kind of scrap they'll hand over quick as a wink. Glad to get rid of it. And feeling good because they know they're taking part in something. Oh. <laughs> in the darndest rubbish the government wants to get a hold of. Rubber heels, overshoes, tennis slippers, hot water bottles, bathing cats. Guys, the list is a mile long. An individual don't want a burner to destroy a single article. Government want paper? Sure. Do you know how much scrap paper is required to make containers for shells? No. A hundred pounds. Do you know how much scrap paper was used to pack the cans of canned tomatoes the Army bought last year? A hundred pounds. Twenty thousand pounds of scrap paper was required. Where did you get all your information, right? Uh, Mr. Chinbunny gave quite a speech in assembly this morning. Huh. Well, I can whip out facts and figures by the bushel. The reason I inquired about paper, Vic. Uh-huh. They're monstrous great big piles of magazines you got down cellar. Monstrous big piles of magazines should remain down cellar. But they take up so much space I could use. Makes me mad every time I look at them. In the fruit room, there's that horrible, enormous stack of kitchenware dealers' quarterlies. And in the furnace room, there's that awful, tremendous pile of lodge magazines. Is there any sense in cherishing them and letting them keep up high every year? No, guess not. I could part with them without a qualm at a time like this. Hey, there's that fine, nicer stock. Ain't either Danny half-witted lame brain strutting around eating a hunk of bread with jelly on it. Just the sight of it makes you mad, huh? Just the sight of it makes me feel like putting down another mark in my little black book. Paste upside the snoot. Paste upside the snoot. How did you earn all those paste upside the snoot that you recorded in your little black book? Various outrageous statements he made. He was telling me how intense his family is when they get into something. Huh? My Uncle Ralph, said, fell in love with the Ohio lady. He told this Ohio lady he was so insane about her, he'd go so far as to disown his grandfather. And he done it. At a ceremony held in Hoffman City, Oklahoma, he publicly disowned his grandfather, who died of grief 20 minutes later. Mm -hmm. Nicer Scott earned himself a mark in my little black book for that excellent story. He earned himself another peachy mark by describing how patriotic his Uncle Harry is. How patriotic is his Uncle Harry? Here's how patriotic his Uncle Harry is. Uh -huh. How patriotic is Nicer's Uncle Harry? Well, sir, according to Nicer, his Uncle Harry owns the Central Indiana and Midwest Railroad. Never heard of it. No, and neither did anybody else. How patriotic is Nicer's Uncle Harry? He's so patriotic, he tore up his railroad, went out on the tracks in person with a pick and shovel, removed all the rails, and gave them to the government. Also, he gave the government all his locomotives and tools. All in all, he gave the government... 10,000 miles of track, 46 locomotives, and 19 switch engines. That's pretty patriotic. Isn't it, though? Of course, there was one bad feature, according to Nature. What was that? The Central Indiana and Midwest Railroad ran into Indianapolis before Uncle Harry tore it up. Now Indianapolis is cut off from outside civilization. People can't take a train in or take a train out. Indianapolis is doomed, says Nature. Indianapolis has no railroad facility. Indianapolis will... Dwindled from a great thriving city to a little village at the side of the road. All because of Uncle Harry's patriotism. Yes. I give Nicer two marks in my little black book for that fine true story. Look at him over there, choking down bread with jelly. Mm. When you boys going to start accumulating this crap, Willie? Right away. Government wants it quick. They need it. Need it bad. That's going to be part of the work of the Virginia Avenue area Sons of Patriotism, Salvage, Indemnity. To get people to... Realize it's urgent. Convince them they shouldn't throw anything away. We're going to go over this neighborhood with a fine-tooth comb. We'll get old alarm clocks, bicycle tires, 
rakes, shovels, pots, pans, springs, bowls, stove pipes, chains, every kind, huh? And we know the ladies will be glad to come across. I think they will. Oh, gonna you think about it a second, and you understand they'll be overjoyed to come across. Uh-huh. We don't care particularly if they give us their scrap or not. They can take it downtown to the collection bureau, or they can call for their own junk man. Just so they dig it up out of their cellars and attics and start it moving. Yeah. I was talking with a fellow down at the office the other day that was telling oh, me... you know, stuck me with his needle good. I was talking with a fellow down at the office the other day... Now look at nicer, Scott. What's he doing? Tying his shoe. You're not going to give him a mark in your book just for that. Sure I am. Going to paste him upside the suit for just tying his shoe? Sure. Strange world. Well, tell me the name of your organization again, Willie. I want to have it straight to tell people. The Virginia Avenue Area Sons of Patriotism, Salvage, and Demnity. The Virginia Avenue Area Sons of Patriotism, Salvage, and Demnity. That's right. Nice. Welcome back. Definitely felt a little bit of a Minnesota influence in that series, uh... Well, we go from one end of the country down to the south. And Alum and Abner, a show I could go on about at great lengths. Series starred Chester Locke as Lum Edwards and Norris Goff as Abner Peabody, storekeepers in the town of Pine Ridge, Arkansas, which was a town based off a city in Arkansas called Waters. I should say an unincorporated uh, community, which actually changed its name to Pine Ridge. The series aired with a few interruptions from 1931 to 54, and in addition to the main characters, Locke and Goff also performed uh, many of the supporting roles. As the characters were storekeepers, they managed to work in a lot of war information. Uh, even uh, in the days immediately after the war, when the government was having a drive for something or another, they would make an announcement on the program uh, in the course of the plot. And when later on in the war, rationing came along, they would uh, often uh, explain some of the systems and the reasons uh, for it. And really, Lum and Abner managed to work in a lot of uh, little tidbits about the war throughout the duration. However, no one episode in the early days of the war was more powerful than this program from June of 1942. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Lum and Abner from June the 4th of 1942. The makers of Alka-Seltzer bring you Lum and Abner. time again, and how fitting it is that another old friend of yours, Alka-Seltzer, should bring you these regular visits. For after all, Lum and Abner and Alka-Seltzer do have a lot in common. 
They're friendly, helpful, and also dependable. Now, if you're one of the few Lumen Abner boosters who hasn't as yet become acquainted with the fast, pleasant relief Alka-Seltzer offers for so many different common ailments, why don't you try it? You're in for a pleasant experience the very first time you take Alka-Seltzer for a headache, a touch of acid indigestion, sour upset stomach, muscular aches and pains, or in that dull headachey feeling of a cold. In fact, we believe one trial will make you an Alka-Seltzer booster, too. So, next time, ask your druggist for Alka-Seltzer. You'll be doing yourself a favor, and Lum and Abner, too. And now, let's see what's going on down in Pine Ridge. Well, Lum managed to get the firm of Edwards and Peabody out of the owl business even faster than Abner got them into it. And now not a single feather is left in their place of business. In spite of losing the goodwill and the business of the ladies' woodcraft and feathered friend club, Lum is still trying to promote his greeting card enterprise. As we look in on the little community today, we find Abner in the Jotham Down store and library. Grandpap is at his favorite place at the library table, reading some informative volume, as usual. In dancing the polka, the gentleman should clasp his partner lightly but firmly around the waist with his right arm. Grandpap, I don't believe I want to learn no more about dancing today. I know enough about it, I believe. No, you don't, Abner. This book says if, if a feller's going to dance, he ought to do it right or not at all. Well, who said I wanted to dance? He takes her right hand in his left hand. Oh, Grandpap. But he should beware of holding her arm out straight as though he were imitating a windmill. Did you get that, Abner? I weren't even listening. Says you're supposed to imitate a windmill. Let's see you try that one. I ain't going to do no such a thing now, Grandpap. Listen, Abner, if you expect me to learn you how to dance, you got to do what the book says. I never asked you to learn me how to dance. This was all your own idea. We are now ready to describe the steps. Oh, my. Now, listen to this part good, Abner. <laughs> the polka is danced in two-four time. There are three steps to each bar. The fourth beat is always a rest. Well, that's the part I'll do, that resting. I can do that good. Wait, don't sit down, yeah. Abner. You're just getting started now. Oh, my. The steps herewith described are for the gentleman. The lady simply reverses them, using her left foot for her right. Now, that's downright silly. How could she do that? That'd be awful awkward, her crossing her feet over that way, putting her left foot over there to use instead of her right, and then trying to dance. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's what it says here. What woman is it that dances that away anyway? Don't say here who it is. <laughs> but no use worrying about her. You more than likely won't get her for a partner no way. See about my luck. First beat, spring slightly on right foot. Go ahead, Abner, spring. Oh, all right. But if I break my leg now... That's it. That's the time. At the same time, slide left foot forward. Oh, Grandpap, I feel silly doing this. Well, you look a little silly too, Abner, but don't worry. You'll get it. <laughs> Second beat, bring right foot forward by Glissdale and... What was that by what? Glissdale. That's what it's got wrote down here. Glissdale. Now, yeah. who's Glissdale? I don't know. More than likely, that's your dancing partner. Well, just a minute here now. That ain't the woman with the crossed-up left foot, is it? Oh, I don't think so. I bound you, that's who it is, and I ain't going to dance with her, neither, Grandpap. Well, that's the way it is in the book, Abner. I don't care. I ain't going to dance with that Glissdale woman. Either you change that to Elizabeth, or I won't even go to the dance. Well, wait a minute. I ain't going to no dance. What's the matter with me? Well, you might go to one someday, and you want to be prepared for it. 
But I'll change this for you. Yeah, change it. Bring right foot forward by Elizabeth. Yeah. And at the same time, raise the left foot. Huh. Have you got your left foot raised? Uh-huh. Then you... Wait a minute. I've got to turn the page here. Well, hurry up now, Grandpa. Well, hold your horses, Abner. You want to learn this right. Well, I can't hold one foot off my floor all day long. Hurry up. Here we are. And then serve small sandwiches cut in dainty shapes. Sir, sandwiches? That's what it says. On one foot? Well, here, read it yourself. That's the silliest one dance I ever heard of, Grandpab. Well, I admit it does appear to be a little peculiar, but maybe we're getting old-fashioned, Abner, behind the times. Well, now... Something new, I reckon. If this is the way they're dancing nowadays, I know I ain't gonna take it up. Dog it, I'd be the laughing stocks of the whole town. Hopping around in the middle of a dance floor on one foot, carrying a plate full of sandwiches. Cut in dainty shapes, it says. I don't care what shapes they're cut in. You can just count me out, Grandpa. Wait, wait, Abner. Don't put your foot down yet. Well, I'm tired. I just seen I made a mistake here. Mistake? Yeah, that's a gooder on me. I turned too many pages. What's uh, the matter? Well, I'll hurry up and find out what I'm supposed to do with this left foot of mine then. I'm getting tired of staying this way. Hurry up now, Grandpa, if you're going to. Oh, for goodness sakes, what's the matter with you, Abner? Uh, oh, Heidi Long. What are you stand on one foot for? You think you're a crane or something? No, Grandpa just found a book in the library on dancing and stuff, and he's bound and determined he's going to learn me to dance. Yeah, it's a handy thing to know, Lum. Would you like to join the class? You can be Abner's partner here. No, I ain't got time for no such foolishness as that, Grandpab. You just sit there and learn how to dance by yourself. Well, that's sort of hard to do, Lum. Not for a genius like you. Don't bother us now, Grandpap, because I want Abner to help me with a new idea I got. A new idea? Uh, what is it, Lum? Has it got something to do with the store or, or with the editor's publishing company? It's for the publishing company. Greeting card department. Well, uh, what is it? Say, Lum, if I'm going to take up dancing, I believe I better go home and get some rest first. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, a good idea. Yeah. So long. I uh, just reading here. And some of these steps here look uncommonly hard to do. Now, here's one... Well, don't read it to us, Grandpap. Just go on home and get some rest. That's what you need. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea, Abner. I believe that's just what I'll do. Glad you mentioned it. Yeah. Well, I'll see you fellas later on. So long. So long, Grandpap. So long, Grandpap. One worry feller to death. Dancing. <laughs> There's one feller that would be a heap better off if he'd never learned how to read. You yeah, know he would. I wish he never had a learn. Well, what's this new idea of yours, Ron? Well, we won't make no money out of this, but it's an awful good thing to do. Yes, Uncle. Yeah. We're going to print up some big birthday greeting cards and send them to all the Pine Ridge boys that went in the Army or the Navy. Oh, oh, well, that sounds good. But now, uh, what if it ain't their birthday, though, Lum? That'd be a little silly sending them a birthday card when it ain't their birthday. Well, we can find out about that. Huh? See, uh, what we've got to do is call up their mamas and papas and find out when their birthdays is. Oh, oh, oh. And then about a week or so before we send a greeting card to whatever boy's having a birthday, why, we'll put his greeting card on the counter where everybody can see it. Set it right over there by the cash drawer. Uh-huh. And then we'll put a pen and ink right next to it. Well, what's that for? Well, you see, I want everybody in town or everybody that comes in here to write something on that card. Oh, oh. See, we're going to make the cards pretty big and leave the second page of it blank and... That's where folks can write down some little thing they want to say to the boy. 
Oh, I see. And and, and this way, why it, it'll just be like getting a, a letter from the whole town. That's be... right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> a good. It'll make them feel awful good. Oh, why, sure. Everybody sure. recollecting them on their birthdays. Yeah, it'll be just like getting a newspaper from home, what oh. it'll be. <laughs> Tell them all the news. Well, we want all of our soldiers to know how proud we are of them and how much we appreciate what they're doing for us back here at home. Why, sure. I dog as I'm fur this idea. Yes, sir, I'm fur this. That's the best thing I've heard of yet, Mom. Well, let's get started on it right away, then. You want me to call up Ms. Macmillan and ask her about Ernest's birthday? Ernest, he's in the Army, you know. No, I done talk to her. Oh, oh. She said Ernie's birthday ain't till October. Oh, October, huh? Said, though, she thought the Blevins boy's birthday was pretty soon now. Blevins. Oh, uh, Robert Blevins? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll get hold of Miss Blevins right now. Yeah, yeah, order to do that. Order to do You recollect what their ring is? Yeah, let's see. I believe it's, uh... Too long and too short, I believe it is, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds huh? like it. I'll try that. Yeah, way. ring that anyway. If it ain't them, you can talk to whoever you get. They might have a boy in the army. Well, sir, I know them soldier boys are love to hear from home. <laughs> That's the way they'll hear from all their old friends at one time. <laughs> yeah, and it'll remind folks to send the boys birthday presents. Well, hello, sure, uh, sure. is that you, Miss Blevin? It's the best idea of his. Ma? Oh, hello, Aunt Charity. Uh-oh. What you doing over there? No. I thought he was on the wrong place. Really? Oh, my goodness. Well, when did they find out, Aunt Charity? Well, I do know. Uh, what is it, Mom? Did they get any details? Uh-huh. Yes, Mom. Uh, Grannies, that sounds like Robert, all right. There's a boy you could always depend on to do something like that. Oh, he's a fine boy, that boy. Yes, Oh, well, you go ahead, Aunt Charity. I won't bother you no more right now. But uh, tell Miss Blevin, uh, tell her... Well, you know better than me what to say, Aunt Charity. Yes, ma'am. All right. Goodbye. Ron, you forgot to ask when Robert's birthday is. Abner, Robert ain't gonna have no more birthdays. Huh? You, you mean... Oh... Yes, oh, I my goodness. But he's done just what you expect him to do. He went down fighting. And fighting again pretty heavy odds, too. Taking five airplanes to get him. Five? Yes, sir. And he could have got away and saved himself, but he kept on fighting so that some of his buddies in another airplane could get away. Why? Their guns had been shot away, and they couldn't fight no more. He stayed up there and fought it out with them. I had doggies good for Robert. Abner, we ain't going to let him get away at this. Well, what can we do, Long? I'll show you. First thing we're going to do is get everybody on the party line. The party line? I'll give the fire alarm ring. That'll get them to listen in. Yeah, well, well, well what you going to tell them, Long? What you calling them for? Tell them. Wait a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Lum Edwards. There ain't no fire. I just wanted you to listen in so I could tell you something. It's an alarm, all right. I don't know how many of you folks know about Robert Blevin yet, but... Bob's a hero now. He's been doing some good work with his airplane over there in the Pacific, but he fought his last battle the other day, and he fought it for us. It weren't one airplane that got him, or two, or three had taken five of them to do it. And right there's where the enemy made its biggest mistake. Robert Blevin is, is a Pine Ridge boy, and Pine Ridge ain't going to take this setting down. We're going to get every one of them five airplanes. And here's how we're going to do it. 
All of you folks is pledged to give 10% of your earnings for war bonds and stamps. Well, that ain't enough now. Every citizen of Pine Ridge has got to give more than that. Not only this week, but every week. We got to keep it up till we got things evened up for Bob. So start buying them war bonds and stamps right away, folks. You can get them at the post office or the bank, but start getting them. Because you're buying these for Robert Blevins and boys like him. And that's what we all should do, folks. Buy, buy, and keep buying war bonds and stamps. Remember that, will you? And say, too, if you're doing your part further these days by working harder than ever on the job, listen to this. You'll find it mighty wise to keep a package of Alka-Seltzer tablets at your place of work. And whether you work in one of the defense industries, an office, a store, or on the farm, you just can't afford to let a headache, a sour, upset stomach, a touch of acid indigestion, or muscular aches and pains keep you from putting in a full day's work every day. So be prepared for the discomfort and the costly slowdowns these common ailments can cause. Never be without a package of Alka-Seltzer tablets handy, both at home and at work. Remember, Alka-Seltzer contains not one but several tested ingredients which go to work fast to help you feel better. So keep a package of Alka-Seltzer tablets on the job, or you can never tell when you want the relief they offer. See your druggist right away. The sooner the better. Welcome back. This really is just such a fascinating episode, and I think incredibly well done. And it's set up by the silliness with Grandpappy Spears at the start of the program. Because the comedy, it's just, it's just such a sudden shift. And a reminder that in many towns, peaceful and idyllic, even if they were never quite as perfect as what was portrayed on the radio, that all of the sudden smack, reality, loss. And in this really um, moving and well-done story of the war hitting home for Pine Ridge, just like it was hitting home all across the country, it's just an outstanding uh, dramatic turn that uh, spoke to listeners across the country. And of course, with the very strong appeal to continue purchasing war bonds. Well, that will do it for today. If you have a comment, send it to box13 at greatdetectives.net. If you would like to share your experience or that of a loved one during World War II, please email your stories to box13 at greatdetectives.net. We will consider all stories to be shared on the air. We also welcome your suggestion as to future programs. This program is dedicated to those who fought and died in World War II and is presented as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio greatdetectives.net. The opening theme is The Heroic by Ken Curlin, kencurlin.com.